the needs of parents are as vast as your imagination will take you. When parents are trying to solve for those problems or navigate the unknown, they are spending their time looking through their neighborhood Facebook groups or parenting groups or Sir Google. You know what I mean? They're spending all of this time to try to figure figure it out on their own. Most of the time when you're trying to figure it out on your own, you're doing it during business hours, right? If you're trying to connect with other business owners, they're open at the same time that you're working for your job. So employers come to us and they say, hey, my employees need help just navigating the ins and outs of the challenges that they're facing. Sure, there's child care challenges, but there's also adult care challenges. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Care.com is the world's largest online marketplace for child care, senior care, special needs care, and even things like tutoring, pet care, and housekeeping. And just full disclosure up front, through our PFC caregiver and household screening brand, my company, Imperative, provides background checks to many of the families who find caregivers through Care.com. Having said all of that, Care.com released their 10th annual cost of care report earlier this summer. As we discussed in our June episode about the Ready Nation report on the child care crisis, the availability of care continues to shrink while the prices continue to rise. That presents challenges for both employers and employees. Joining me to discuss the cost of care reports findings and ways that employers can assist their employees in meeting these challenges is Jess Marble. Jess is the Director of Care for Business, the enterprise division of Care.com, where she advocates for comprehensive, equitable, and scalable caregiving benefits to support leading employers and their workforces. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Jess. Thanks for having me, Mike. So let's just start with uh, the cost of care report. What were the key findings that uh, were really relevant to employers' concerns? I think the 10th anniversary of the cost of care report gave us some insight into how the cost of child care in the United States has changed over to the past decade and how truly expensive and unavailable um, caregiving is to working parents today. Big takeaways from the report, uh, 75% of parents are saying that they don't have a child care center within 20 minutes of their home, or they 50% of parents have said that they've been on wait lists for three or more months. Child care is expensive and it's very, very hard to find. And then you say that's over the last 10 years, those challenges have continued, those have increased. So let's just talk about where the, the report was interesting because it uses the term care villages, which I, I, I wasn't familiar with. Can you talk about care villages and where people find their care, for, where they get their care for their kids? Yeah. So a care village is describing the infrastructure or the people that working parents lean on to find care for their loved ones, for their children. 
45% of parents that we surveyed actually are looking for childcare in non-traditional hours, which means they have to get a little bit creative when it comes to creating their care, care village today. So we're seeing parents are leaving the life they've built and they're moving to be closer to friends and family. They're changing their complete lifestyle. We know that parents are taking on multiple jobs. 29% of working single mothers with hourly jobs are taking on one or more to compensate for the cost of care. We also know that employers are turning to or employees are turning to their employers. Offering child care benefits is starting to become an expectation, especially if you expect employees to show up and be productive at work. So those non-traditional work hours, you're talking the not you know, other than the the eight to five type shift when your traditional daycare is open, so third shift, evening shifts, things like weekends, uh, exactly. those kind of things. Exactly. Doctors and nurses have children. Those who kind of keep this country running while we get to sleep at night, they have children too, and they also have care child care needs. Yeah, we just had. Uh, episode a few weeks ago about uh, frontline workers and, you know, these essential workers that we we talked about so much in 2020. And it seems like yeah. what you're saying is that those are the folks who are most impacted by the, by this childcare, these childcare challenges. Exactly. And so how does all of this then affect employers? What's, what do you see as the impact on employers from these challenges? The fact of the matter is, Without care, people can't work. They can't show up to work to be the, their best self. They can't be productive. They can't be reliable. So while this is a challenge that families have been facing forever, I think uh, employers are starting to recognize that this is actually a business problem. I think the pandemic highlighted the impact that our childcare infrastructure has on their business. So now employers recognize this as a threat to the productivity that their employees can have and potentially uh, their retention rates. Because when it comes between choosing to care for the loves, ones you love or showing up for work, you're going to care for the ones you love the most. And you mentioned people having to relocate to be closer to family and to, you know, or other caregiver sorts, you know, people, friends, things like that. And I would guess that, I mean, certainly a lot of these folks are sitting behind desks and maybe can work remote if they can find, but a lot of the essential workers or those frontline workers have to be there to serve customers or work on a production line or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, those, you know, actually, you know, be present in a physical space. And if they're relocating, that means those employers are, are losing that talent too. Yeah. I mean, relocation shouldn't be what we have to turn to, to find care because you've built and you've created this life for yourself and to uproot that affects so many other areas of your life. Your job could be compromised. You may be impacting the lives of your loved ones who are stepping into care for your children. So it's not really a win-win situation for anybody. You know, we mentioned relatives and friends and, and daycare centers. Mm -hmm. A big part of what care.com does is is connect people to to nannies uh, or babysitters, mm -hmm. people like that. Do you have an idea of what percentage of folks are using those kind of services versus just relying on daycare? 
Millions of families rely on our services. I think what we're observing, though, is um, for the first time in our research, relying on an in-home caregiver is actually, if it, if cost and availability had nothing to do with it, the in-home option is what families prefer most. Oh, sure. When you're looking at the child care crisis that we have in the United States, child care centers are a huge part of that crisis. During the pandemic, so many child care centers closed down. Thousands and thousands of their employees had to find work elsewhere. And so you have an infrastructure problem now that isn't going to be resolved because of a shortage of availability, but also employees who can help with that particular care infrastructure. And I think the the report said families on average are spending 27% mm-hmm. of their income on care. That's, that seems pretty steep. And, but I, yeah. I think a lot of it, you know, these are, you know, the people who are out there breeding are, are younger than me. And so, you know, they're earlier in their career often. And, and so that's a big yeah. chunk out of your career. If you're trying to, out of your income, if you're trying to, you know, build your family security into the future. It's a huge chunk. And it's actually three times what the Department of Health and Human Services says is affordable for families to pay for care. They say that it's affordable to pay for child care if you're paying 7% of your income. But like you said, families are now are paying three or four times that, which just is not feasible for the majority of American families. No. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, that begs the question, I guess, what are families doing? I mean, what, <laughs> how do you, how do they navigate that? It's, well, there isn't a magic wand. That's for sure. Um, we see families have to uproot and they have to move closer to their loved ones. We see families taking on additional jobs. We know that single mothers, for example, who, um, are working an hourly job, over 40% of them take on one or more jobs to help with the cost of care. But we also see families turning to their employers to help mitigate this rub they have between balancing the caregiving needs they have at home and their responsibilities at work. So when a family turns to their employer, what kind of services can an employer really provide? Yeah, Because <laughs> traditionally that's outside of the realm of, you know, most traditional employee benefits or what, mm-hmm. uh, or something that most employers are willing to tackle. So what do you see employers doing and, and, and what did the, the report suggest employers ought to consider? I've been with CARE for almost seven years. And uh, during my tenure at CARE, what I've come to recognize is that the employers who are starting to offer these benefits more and more are representing, better representing the demographics of our entire nation. So what I mean by that is caregiving benefits used to be a very privileged benefit for big tech companies or law firms or those who are known for having the most um, compelling benefits as an employer. 
But we're seeing now that it's kind of becoming a must-have, a standard benefit for employers if they need to compete at all. So when we look at uh, the types of benefits that employers can offer, you're kind of designing programs that address three core areas of caregiving challenges. The first is finding care. Care is hard to find. There is limited availability across this entire nation. It doesn't matter where you work, you have that problem. Second is affording care. Care is expensive, like we just said, and families are paying four times as much as what our government says should be affordable for childcare. And we know that when you are a parent, navigating the woes of raising children can be difficult and confusing and sometimes lonely. So employers are investing in solutions that help all three of those problems. Well, let's tackle just the first one then, just just finding care. If, if, if I've got employees who are in a, you know, I guess, a, you know, what we, we'd call a care desert, whether, you know, you said they, ha, uh, you know, there's some percentage that have to, don't have a, a care, uh, child care within 20 minutes, I think you said. So how do you, how do you, how does an employer help there? So employers turn to providers like Care for Business by Care.com to access a network of caregivers that we have with our platform. You said yourself, Care.com is the leading platform for finding and managing care. So we have something that can benefit the workforce. Uh, So first and foremost, employers are coming to us and saying, hey, my employees need a tool to find background check caregivers to help them at every stage of life. So we're talking about newborn care, then after school care, and then even resources to help with tutoring as you get older. And so, okay, so using care to hire, and these are primarily then in-home caregivers in, in, in those situations? In home or out of home, the network covers all of that. So that's tool number one to help you find regular care, right? Because that's the problem that everybody has. But the other problem that employers have to solve for is how do you address caregiving needs when regular care falls through? And that's where something called backup care comes into play. And how does, okay, so that's something we see. I mean, we went remote in 2020 and my listeners are tired of hearing this, but we're not going back. Uh, and it's worked great for us, except that I have uh, a number of, uh, young parents as employees and they've got care until they don't. Mm -hmm. Somebody's sick, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, either their caregiver whose family is, is, Mm -hmm. is ill or, or their kid's sick and they can't send them wherever they normally send them. And so, Mm How, do, how does that backup care work? So from an employee's perspective, when they have access to a backup care benefit, when they know care is not going to be available or when care falls through, they can log in through an app like the Care for Business app, and they can input the days and times that they need care. Then we take our powerhouse of a network of backup caregivers, either in-home or out-of-home caregivers, and we match that family with a caregiver who can meet their caregiving needs, either by coming to their house or finding a slot for them in one of our child care center partners' locations. So from an employer's perspective, they come to us and they design a program that includes a, a set number of backup care days. And they so they can give their employees, let's say, 10 to 15 days of backup care per year. 
The employees pay a copay for that backup care. So that helps to address the affordability of care. You know, daycare drop drop-in rates can be $150, $250 a day, depending on where you live in the country. So if you have to decide between making your hourly wage or paying that much money, again, work is going to lose out. So uh, employees just pay a small copay from the employer subsidized program. And so the employer's benefit is you don't lose the productivity of a day that's either burned in PTO uh, or, uh, you know, maybe it's even a situation where you, this person's out of PTO and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, or, um, and, they're just missing you now you know you got an employee who's not getting paid and you're not getting product productivity uh and so and where the and the cost to the employer um in in a program like that may well be a lot less than the cost of not having that employee available for the day yeah i mean the immediate cost savings is um in the prevented productivity loss that mm-hmm. an employer essentially saves with the use of backup care. We see backup care users um, on average miss 10 fewer days of work per year because of the access they have to backup care. But I think the benefit to the employer stems past productivity savings. You very quickly become an employer of choice. Every single time, 10 times a year, your employer, your employee is recognizing how you've saved the day for the most precious human in their life. So you have quite a bit of loyalty now that's coming to you as an employer when you offer a benefit like this. And so this backup care, is this, what are these normally like we're dropping them off at a daycare or is this somebody who's coming into the home or how do these work? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's, where, where's that care delivered? Yeah. Good question. Um, I think the benefit of the Care for Business backup care program is all of the flexible options that both employers and employees can choose from. So there's essentially three ways that employee employees can access backup care. Number one is you can say, I'd like to have a nanny come into my home. There's a benefit to that. Let's take a, a parent who has two children, for example. They can have a nanny come into their home, which will use one day of backup care, and they only have to pay their hourly copay for one day. Or an employee can say, I don't want a nanny to come to my home. Or an employee can say, I don't want a nanny to come to my home because I work from home and I need the peace and quiet. I'm going to take my kids to a local child care center that has availability for a drop-in day. The advantage to that is the children are out of the home. They get to socialize with other children, um, but it uses up two of their backup care days and they pay two daily co-pays because essentially it's taking up two slots of care. So that's a little behind the scenes Mm. on how that works. Now, the third type of backup care that's available is something called personal network backup care. So with personal network backup care, employees can say, hey, look, I have this reliable caregiver that I use on a regular basis who can come and care for my kids. Can I just be reimbursed for that care? Why, yes, you can. You can be reimbursed for that care, just like how your employer would pay for that backup care day. And then you're only responsible, essentially, for paying your copay. And if we're, we're, you know, let's say we're going to go to the office and and we're going to leave that kid who's, you know, for whatever reason, you know, needs care that day because their caregiver is not available or whatever. And we're, they're going to come to the house. That gives people liver quiver. I've got some stranger coming into my house to take care of my kid. Can you talk a little bit about 
at least in the care.com, the care for business piece, uh, mm-hmm. how, how y'all address those, those kinds of concerns? Sure. All of our backup caregivers that come into the home have been background checked. We partner with the best nanny agencies around the, co- the country to help fulfill some of those in-home backup care requests. But parents also have an opportunity during the booking process to request a time to speak with or meet the caregiver prior to them coming to their home. So when the backup care day is confirmed, the care- we match you with the right caregiver for your home, you get a profile of the caregiver, and then you also get a chance to connect with them before they show up. So these care days, sometimes we find out that morning, I, you know, you find out that mm-hmm. the, the babysitter is out. Uh, and so can you can it be turned around that quickly, generally, or do, does a, an employee typically kind of li- try to line somebody up? just so that they know that they've already got somebody that they're comfortable with or how does that, how does that work in the, and mm-hmm. you know, I can see if I know my, you know, my caregiver is getting married and is going to be gone for three days next, you know, next mm-hmm. month I can plan ahead. But what mm-hmm. about those, those short term immediate concerns? Yeah. Um, backup care can be used for those immediate concerns. Absolutely. Uh, one misconception about backup care is that it typically is used for last minute care, like what you just described. But in the decade plus that we've been providing backup care to employers, we actually see that over 75% of our days is not a same or a next day request. We typically see parents, um, the breakdown that they most often have when it comes to childcare are school holidays, teacher prep days, planned absences from their nanny. Yes, there are times where you need next day or same day care. And that's why we have an expansive network so we can accommodate those same day requests. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. Premium background checks with fast and friendly service. In a perfect world, all your applicants would be honest with you and your background checks would simply confirm that. But if all your applicants were honest, I'd be out of work. So every day we give employers bad news. Maybe we found a criminal record that the applicant failed to divulge or that college from which they claimed a degree never heard of them or it was a degree mail or a previous employer told us that the guy was terminated for punching out the HR manager. Whatever it is, employers have legal requirements to follow when the information on the background check may lead to the applicant not being hired or any other action by the employer that might be construed as adverse by the applicant. If based in whole or part on the background check, the employer does decide to take an adverse action, the Federal Fair Credit Reporting Act requires that the employer provide the applicant a copy of the report and a summary of their rights under the law. This can be provided electronically or via hard copy delivered in person or by mail. Imperative's secure online reporting system makes it easy for an employer to share this information with applicants electronically just by clicking a button. Some of our clients will then just pick up the phone and call the applicant asking, hey, do you have a minute to review your background check with me? You should have an email with a link to review it. Then they can discuss the information with the applicant and get their side of the story. Once the information has been received by the applicant, the employer can take the adverse action. 
Then the Fair Credit Reporting Act requires that they provide the applicant a second notice describing the adverse action and providing the applicant additional information, including how to contact the background screening company to dispute the information. These are easy requirements to follow, but judging from the many class action lawsuits against employers, a lot of them just don't do it right. Also, employers should remember that some states also have their own adverse action requirements on top of those in the FCRA. If you have questions about the FCRA's requirements or how Imperative can help you make well-informed decisions about the people you involve in your business, visit us at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on research credits. Then select episode 114 and enter the keyword care. That's C-A-R-E. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Jess Marble. Interesting. So that covers the the finding care piece. Then you mentioned mm-hmm. affording care, and you talked a little bit about on the backup care, the the copay and the employer subsidy. What else are employers doing to make try to make care more affordable? So employers can help employees afford care through a few different tactics. One, employers can come to a partner like Care for Business, where we uh, work with leading child care centers around the country and negotiate child care discounts on behalf of our client partners. So we see families that participate in this benefit can save $1,600 a year, for example, on full-time tuition. When you think about the cost of care, how for care For a lot of families, they're paying upwards of $18,000 a year, nearly twice the cost of in-state tuition. $1,600 on average is certainly um, a benefit to have. We also see employers um, contributing to um, reimbursement accounts. So they may help employees cover a portion of the regular care costs through uh, like a reimbursement or a subsidy program. Okay. So... And again, those are those are benefits that are just driven by the employer's desire to to help with mm-hmm. that. Uh, and those those reimbursement accounts are, I guess, either funded by the employer, but then uh, through the health savings accounts or uh, dependent care accounts, they can employees can also set set aside an amount each year uh, exactly. to at least get that as a, at a tax you know tax free dollars through their dependent child care accounts. Yeah. 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 And and then you, that last really big one you, you mentioned was uh, just navigating the complexities of yeah. being, you know, responsible for care and all. What are those, what are the complexities? I mean, we've talked about cost and those, you know, those, you know, those, the shortage. What are the other mm-hmm. complexities that come that affect an employee who's trying to give care uh, to, to their kids or even to an elder or something like that? Yeah. When, I mean, we can walk through Barnes and Noble and we can see rows and rows of parenting books, right? Um, but you never really know what's going to happen until you're in the throes of parenting. And Preach. oftentimes, 
<laughs> oftentimes you um, are faced with situations that you have to figure out on your own. For example, I have a child with special needs. I need to figure out how to advocate for them with their school system to make sure they have the right resources. Or I'm looking for a child care provider that um, speaks dual languages, just like what we practice in our home. The, the needs of parents are as vast as your imagination will take you. When parents are trying to solve for those problems or navigate the unknown, they are spending their time looking through their neighborhood Facebook groups or parenting groups or Sir Google. You know what I mean? They're spending all of this time to try to figure, figure it out on their own. Most of the time when you're trying to figure it out on your own, you're doing it during business hours, right? If you're trying to connect with other business owners, they're open at the same time that you're working for your job. So employers come to us and they say, hey, my employees need help just navigating the ins and outs of the challenges that they're facing. Sure, there's child care challenges, but there's also adult care challenges. Millennials are the largest generation in the workforce. They're also the largest generation in, this, in the sandwich generation. So they're trying to figure out how to raise their kids, and now they're trying to figure out how to care for their parents or their grandparents. So they can call um, and use a benefit. They can call, a, um, our team is called the care specialist. They can use a benefit where they have 24-7 access to experts, child care experts, senior care experts that they can just talk to, explain their problems, and just get help navigating through that problem, finding and negotiating resources, whatever it may be to kind of take that burden off of their shoulders um, to find the help they need. We see at CARE that this particular service saves parents an average of 17 hours of lost productivity every single time they use it. Yeah, I can totally imagine that because I just look back at our, you know, our stuff. I mean, and we were we were in a really privileged position because I own my, we own our company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, but I just think about the, the number of times something would happen and we didn't, we didn't know. And, and we have friends who, uh, you know, we can turn to, but having somebody who really knows and, you know, it's, I use uh, a lot of business resources and mentorships mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, people I know and trust, to navigate business issues, but I know most of your HR professionals out there do not want to be responsible for those, you know, and, no. and don't have that expertise. And as soon as you put a binder of, here's a binder full of solutions for, you know, answers to come, you know, frequently asked questions around something like caregiving and resources mm-hmm. and all that, that's going to be out of date the minute you stick it up on, you know, on your wiki or on, on your, yeah. on your shelf. So they can just, so this is just, and, um, and we're talking a lot listeners about care.com because that's who we're talking to, but I'm sure there's other services out there that do the same thing. Uh, and so this is, I'm not just shilling for care.com, uh, but, uh, they're good customers. Uh, so (laughs) consider them, but, uh, but those having that resource would be a really valuable thing for an employee that, uh, you know, take and, and keeps the HR department from taking on that burden. Right. Absolutely. That's great. Well, what else do you think what, as uh, uh, we're running up on time, but as a, as a parting shot, what do you think that anything else you think we should share with uh, employers about assisting their mm-hmm. employees who are caregivers? Yeah. Let's talk about 
options that may not cost as much money, right? We know benefit budgets are, we like those. We know benefit budgets are tight. We know implementing new benefits takes time. And of course there's partners like Care for Business that want to work with you on that. But there's also things that you can do right now with your employees to help make lives a little easier for working parents. Here's an idea. Look at your employee resource groups or your affinity groups and find those champions internally and talk to them. You can create mentors between um, new parents when they are mentorships between new parents when they reenter the workforce and parents who have been navigating that journey for a while. That gives employees who are new to the parenting journey somebody to turn to and find guidance. So that's one example. So an affinity group is, I mean, you know, a lot of companies have affinity groups around race or even, you know, uh, cultural differences, things like that. I've never even thought about an affinity group for, for, for parents who are are dealing with that. That, that's, that seems like a no brainer. That's a, yeah, that would be great. Right. Yes, they're amazing. And you often find that your parents' resource groups or your working mom groups or however it's formed at your company, you often find that these are the biggest champions and the most passionate employees when it comes to the benefits and the programs that you offer, um, they can be a huge asset and an HR partner when it comes to helping um, keep in touch with what the workforce is asking for, but also how they're receiving the information that's being shared. I'm a huge fan of employee resource groups. So that's great. What else? Yes. So um, idea number one, uh, employee resource groups. Idea number two, I'm a big champion of turning to your managers. Your frontline managers, um, your managers are the frontline of your workforce. They are the first ones who understand the pain points employees are feeling. They're the first ones who observe when working parents may be missing work or feeling distracted. So one of the most powerful things that you can do is make sure your managers are armed with the information they need to help support as soon as they identify a need from their employees. So I'm sure you have, if you have options like an EAP or you have a dependent childcare program or whatever benefits you have available or programs in-house, make sure that the, the managers are spreading the good word about those so employees can take advantage of what exists today. So those are my top two. Well, yeah, that's great. And I think that's I mean, I, I spent my whole HR career running away from anything with numbers, and that included benefits. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I know from my friends who are benefits folks, one of the big challenges is employees don't even use the benefit because they don't understand it or don't know it yeah. or, or don't don't believe it's ac- accessible, you know, as easily as it may be. And that's that's frontline management just con- continually driving those things home, especially you know, hopefully before there's a problem, before they're at, we're in a point where we're in a critical position around performance and, you know, yeah. Hey, we've got an attendance policy and you've, you've missed and what's going on. And well, my, you know, I've had this issue with my caregiver. Well, if, if the manager had known that, or if the manager had thought about how can I help early in this process, we may not be at this position where we're talking about performance. Yeah. And those conversations could be so much more productive if, at the moment you identify or perceive a problem, you can come with some recommended solutions to help in that very first conversation. Well, that's perfect. That's all the time we have too. So thank you for joining me today, Jess. 
Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperative's marketing coordinator, Marianne Hernandez. She and Rob do most of the work. I just show up and ask smart people dumb questions. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.